All right. It's, I must say, a real joy being with you guys this morning. Um, when I say guys, you know what I mean? Um, but it is absolute joy. We've been wanting to come to Somerset West for a while. So let me just introduce myself. Um, as I said, I'm Mike, my wife, lovely wife, Adi. And um, we've been serving, being part of Josh Jen for about 23 years, pretty much from just after the beginning. Um, we've been part of the church, part of serving alongside Andrew. And uh, we spent six of those years in Oatsorn. We planted a church in 2004, and we came back in 2010. Um, and yeah, it's been a, a, such a joy just uh, being there and seeing uh, just what God has done over the years. I think when we started, we were about, I remember Big Bay Surf, uh, there was a, a, a life-saving club in Big Bay down in Tableview, Bloberg side, and when we joined, there were about 25, 30 people, and it's grown to obviously what God has done all over. But, um, you know, just this morning, just also to let you know, so this last year, we've been traveling a lot. We've been released. I had the privilege to lead uh, the last congregation we were leading. We actually were in Edgemead with Craig and Joy a number of years ago. Um, and then afterwards, we went to Wellington. And so we're based in Wellington. Where's that, you might say? Um, can anything good come from Wellington? They said that of, uh, you know, we've heard that before. And uh, I have the privilege at the moment to lead a, a, a discipleship school called TMT, which is based out in Wellington, and, um, and been involved in that for a number of years, AD and I, as well as was leading the Wellington AM congregation, and about a year, a year ago, we handed that over, and have been traveling pretty much everywhere, been all the way from Benoni to Brazil, to Brooklyn in the Cape, to Friedendal, to you name it. We've really ministered and traveled and taught just trying to work into churches, um, just representing the 412 and, and Josh Jen team. And so it's, it's been very, very cool to do that and, yeah, come out to you guys. So I've uh, been married for 25 years in January. And so, yeah, 25. Um, and uh, we've got three kids. Our oldest is 22. We've got a 19-year-old, and uh, she's studying at Bloemfontein at the moment. All the way, so her Afrikaans is very good. Um, and then we've got a son, Daniel, who's 15 at the moment, and uh, last we checked, he's 15. All right, fantastic. So what we want to do is this morning, and um, I, I would like to share a word with you just as I was praying, feeling like what would be appropriate for the congregation, and it's called being a Barnabas, being a Barnabas. And I'd like to look in the New Testament at this man, Barnabas, and what we can learn from him. Uh, and there's certain things I'd love to bring out. I'd like to look at certain scriptures together but it's really being a person of encouragement. And what does it mean to walk in the ministry of encouragement? Um, I don't know about you, but I know we all need encouragement. Don't you? Don't you need encouragement? I know I do. Uh, we all do. And the church is to be the place where encouragement is meant to take place. Like if you want to be encouraged, you've got to be part of the church. You've got to, you've got to give encouragement and, and receive encouragement. And, you know, one of the things we do is as, as, a, as a local church is our heart is to get back, back to the, in a sense, the beating heart of the origin of the church, uh, of where Jesus started this thing um, in the book of Acts, because there's so much we can learn from the book of Acts. And we find in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, and then we'll look at Barnabas, there's, a, there's this kind of snapshot or portrait of um, the early church. And it says that this early church, the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, had peace and was being built up. It was being built up, right? The church was being encouraged, built up. And walking, and there were two things that they were walking in. These Christians were walking in, number one, 
the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. A healthy fear of God. And secondly, they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe your version says the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. You know, and so we want to be a church that is walking in the comfort or the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Um, And that takes people like you and I, as the Lord uses us, to do that in those things. Um, So as we look at Barnabas, Barnabas, you know, when people are mentioned in the Bible, if you look at your Bible, God mentions people by name for a specific reason. Uh, And I know we all have our favorite characters in Scripture, but for, for us, this man Barnabas, not many people are mentioned in the book of Acts, but Barnabas is highlighted for us as a man, an example of a spirit-filled man, a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with Jesus, and was an encourager. And there's certain things that I want to pick out from his life, as the church was a church of encouragement. And this man, and so we find him, I'm not going to turn there, but we find him in Acts chapter 4, where it mentions this man for the first time, and it mentions this man, and his name actually is not Barnabas. His name is called Joseph. And it mentions this man, Joseph, and how he comes to the apostles and he's a generous man, and he's giving of his, of his resources into the kingdom of God, into, the, into what God is doing. And in that place, he, it says it's Joseph, and he's called Barnabas. In other words, it was his nickname, which means in, John, in, in Acts 4, it says, son of encouragement. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And so this man is, is brought out as an example of a spiritful Christian and how he brought his, his, his offering to the Lord. And you know, I do want to say this just quickly at the outset, that encouragement, um, this ability to encourage someone, build someone up, is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that's just we, something we do, but is deeply linked to what the Holy Spirit does. As you read earlier in Acts 9 and, and in Acts 4, it's actually dealing with, if you're someone who is falling off to Christ, this is one of the fruit that should come out of your life. Um, I know I experienced this just as a story. Um, you know, I got to experience this. Uh, I, I'm sure many of you have gone through periods of deep discouragement. You know, it's just normal life. You know, we go through the valleys and the troughs and the peaks. And I remember it was about 2003, and I was struggling. I was really not in a good place. And I don't particularly remember that I'd sinned or done anything really bad. I don't think I'd, like, kick the cat or, you know run over an old lady, or I'd sinned against God in some way. I, I think I was doing all right. I was doing my best to serve him and love him, and I was a school teacher at that time. But I remember the struggling in my faith. I remember struggling in a sense of just like, God, I feel like I'm serving you, but it's just, it was hard. And I remember being disillusioned. And by, by nature, I'm quite hard on myself. And so I would get discouraged quite easily. And we, kept, we went to a leaders meeting that night um, in Russell Fraser's home. Russell, some of you know, we met in his home. There were about 50 of us crammed into his lounge, and we had a, we had a, a visiting apostolic um, minister who came through for the weekend, and he ministered that night. His name was Rory, and he came through, and he as we started the meeting, we, we started in worship, and I remember during worship, at towards the end of worship, as we landed, he just, as he started, he, he looked at me, and I was kind of hiding in the corner. Because, you know, I was just like, I don't really want to, I was just like in the corner there, just, just kind of out the way. And he looked at me and he said to me, Mike, I just feel to say to you, you're a good man. You're a good man. And he had, I'd met him before, he knew me, he knew my name, but 
he just singled me out. And I was like, I, was like, I just felt the Holy Spirit was, was just encouraging me that night. And again, later in the evening, he again, he, he stopped what he was doing and he said, I just feel I need to single you out. And I want to say to you, Mike, you're a good man. And it's weird, I disqualified myself. I put myself on the sideline and it was the Holy Spirit using someone like that, the ministry of the Spirit, to put his finger on and to touch and to actually encourage me. Have any of you felt encouragement like that before? Where you've felt in that place and you've had the ministry of the Spirit actually encouraging you in the Lord. You know, one of the things about the Holy Spirit is that, and with encouragement, is the Holy Spirit is called the helper. And as we're a church that is wanting to be a spirit-filled church, a church that believes in the work of the Spirit for today, as we know the helper comes alongside us, he is the parakletos, he's literally the one who's going to bring us encouragement. And you know, I think it was the old Bible teacher, Derek Prince, who said that as Christians, you've actually got two helpers. You've got a helper on the earth, you've got an advocate, a lawyer, who's encouraging you, who lives within you. He's the Holy Spirit, John 15. But then actually, you've got an advocate or a helper in heaven, and he's also helping you, the Lord Jesus. 1 John 2, it says that he's our advocate or our parakletos, cheering us on and interceding on our behalf in heaven. And I think it was the old Bible teacher, Derek Prince, said, if you've got two lawyers, you will never lose a case. God will help you. God will help you because we've got these helpers in the form of God himself. By the nature of God is God is a helper coming alongside us, making us into the image of Jesus. And I know in this world we live in, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're swimming upstream. You have to be courageous to be a follower of Christ today because you're coming against value systems that are opposite to the kingdom of God. And we need to be a people that find encouragement in the Lord and in one another. And so let's go and look at this guy Barnabas. And what I want to do is I want to look in Acts chapter 10, uh, Acts chapter 11, and there's a story from verse 19. And I want to highlight a couple of things from the story. Just as we look at having this, being a Barnabas, what does it mean to have a culture of encouragement? And in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, um, I'd like to read it together. And the context here is about a church in a place called Antioch. And it says here in verse 19, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. And there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, these are the the Greeks, the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So I'm going to stop there quickly. And so what what you're seeing here, my friends, is you're seeing the, 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 the growth of the church, the growth of these Jesus, passionate, crazy Jesus people that are going into the ends of the earth, that are going, well, at least to in the Roman Empire, And they're going, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're representing Jesus because of a persecution in Jerusalem. And wherever they go, they're speaking about him, they're testifying about him, their lives are a witness to him, and the church grows. And these churches begin all over the Roman Empire, and specifically here in a place called Antioch. Now, one thing that you find interesting with the story is that it does not mention their names. Nowhere in the story do we know 
who started the church in this little place called, in this city of Antioch. We don't know. It just says there were some men who went out. There were some people that went out. And you know, I want to say this, that the church, that for us being part of the church, is that the church is built on people like you and I, ordinary people. We don't have superstars that do the work of the ministry. We don't build the church upon one name or one individual. Richard Gordon, you know, Ahmed Le Gordon, Pastor Richard. We don't have his billboard outside, you know, with that kind of, that holy look. You know, he's got that the knowing, wise look, you know. And then Richard and Imedla, come to, you know, welcome home type thing. We don't do that because we build around people like you and I that actually every single one of us is called to be involved in, in the work of the ministry, involved in what God is doing. There's no spectators in the kingdom. And as we look at the snapshot, we see that these early believers, they didn't know much. They didn't have theological degrees. We don't know how learned they were in the scriptures, but they knew Jesus Christ. And because they knew him, they had this passion for him. They were spirit-filled. And because they, they went out in their bumbling efforts, and they simply saw the church grow. And I want to encourage you, like, never, ever disqualify yourself because you say, well, I don't know as much as so-and-so, or I haven't been a Christian as long as so-and-so, or you don't understand my situation. I'm broken. How could God use me? And I want to encourage you, if you knew me, you knew that if God can use me, he can use you. That don't we ever disqualify ourselves into the purposes of God. That the heart of God is that every one of us would be used. Every one of us would be, would be counting in, in, in the church and what God is doing. And I love the fact that it never mentions their names. It just says, those who are scattered... And it says, speaking the word, there were just some of them, it says. Who are they? Who are these men of God, these women of God? We don't know. Don't you love that? Don't you love the fact that, and you probably hear, if you're, maybe you've come in as a visitor, when you joined this church, you know, no matter where you are, as you come in, you probably wondered, but who's leading this church? Like, who's the leader here, you know? Who's the, who's the senior pastor, you know? And, and it's because we're a team, and there's, it's like people are ministering, and there's different voices that is a wonderful thing, my friends. And that is the way of the Lord. But as this, these churches get planted, it says in verse 22, Now the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And here, a trustworthy man, he's coming on behalf of the church of Jerusalem, and he gets sent to go to Antioch to go and to teach them. Because they still, you still need teachers. It's not like, you know, oh, well, man, we're all, we all leaders in the house of God. You know, we don't need leaders because, you know, we're all, we all ministers. No, 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 no. We are all ministers, but you still need leaders. And so a leader, uh, uh, someone who's reliable and faithful and spiritful, he, someone who's wise, he gets sent to this young church to teach them the ways of the Lord. And true to form, let's see what Antioch does and uh, 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 Barnabas does. And here I want to pick out a couple of things for us. Uh, are you guys okay? You're with me. You're following me this morning. Okay, can you understand my English? Trying not to speak with a Wellington accent too much. <laughs> no, we don't speak like that in Wellington. Yeah, I couldn't, no. All right, verse 23. And when Barnabas came, or he came, and here I want to pick out the first thing. It says that he saw the grace of God and he was glad. 
Now, that's the first thing I want to pick up. In terms of being a Barnabas or being a person, a person of encouragement means that we have to learn to look and see God at work. That's the first thing I want to, I want to say. I mean, I've actually said a lot already, so my points aren't that, that much in order today. You've got to see God at work. And what Barnabas does is he looks, and obviously for him, he looks at this church. Man, and there are like miracles. There must have been. It's a new church. People are getting saved. In fact, earlier on, we, later on, we read about how people were added to the church and born again. I mean, there must have been serious life of God in that, in that church, right? But he sees it, and he sees the life of God, and it says he was glad. I like the NIV. I think the, evident, the, the NIV says he sees the evidence of the grace of God, or God at work. And you know, it's easy to be encouraged when God is moving in your life. You know, you've received a, a bonus, or you've received like a, a, a promotion at work, you've got the blessing of God, or you know, your family's doing well, or like you're being used in church, or you, your prayers are being answered, and like you're seeing God at work. It's like, yeah, I'm glad, man. It's like, thank God. You know, then it's easy. But I think that ability for us to learn how to see God at work, even maybe when it's not that obvious. Although it doesn't say so here, but I want to say that part of the, the, the ability of a Christian is to be a person of faith that learns to see when God is working, even when maybe on the outside it's a little bit hard. You know, sometimes God gives us different gifts. I know someone once said, God gives you the gift of prosperity where things are going well and there's fruit and you know, God prospers you. But part of the gift of God is sometimes he gives you the gift of adversity when it's hard and he prunes us and he shapes us and there's a loss and there's things that happen that are evil and are wrong. And in that place, it's like, will we still be able to see the evidence of God at work? You know, there's this wonderful story in Genesis, because I think as Christians, we, we sometimes are very, we struggle with suffering. We struggle with difficulty, and so we should, because suffering is, the root of it is just like, ah, you know, we know it's not from God, that the ways of God are peace and joy and righteousness, but he allows suffering, and he brings suffering, and sometimes he even allows loss. I know, I know in George, some of you might be aware of this, but in our congregation in George, we had a young man, he was 17 years old or 18 years old in matric. And um, he, 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 um, he, part of the church, part of the youth, and he drowned two weekends ago, or last weekend. He drowned. He was in a, on a school camp, and his boat capsized, and he panicked, and he ended up drowning. He could swim well, but this accident happened, and he drowned. And the church and his family have been in absolute shock. How could God allow this to happen? How could bad happen to a good person? How could evil happen to someone that's been following after you, Lord? And I think sometimes for us to learn how to, when evil happens, to say, but God would, would help me to see the purposes or to hold on to you even when that's the case. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament of Joseph, and Joseph is this man that gets abused. He gets um, mistreated by his brothers. I don't know if any of you have been sold into slavery by your family. Any of you? Any of you had your, your family sell you to the Midianites? Not yet. Someone said, <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, maybe I misheard that. <laughs> you know, you've had some, but I know we've all had evil happen to us. We've had things that, that, that have come against us. And Joseph, he goes through this time where he's like the, 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 the favorite boy, you know. He's, he's the favorite child. 
He has the favor of God upon his life. He's in a wonderful family, sold into slavery. And then he begins this journey that just seems to go down and down and down. And it's just from worse to worse to worse. But you know the amazing thing? If you read Genesis, you find that it says that when Joseph was in Potiphar's household, it says the Lord was with him. And then it says that he was in prison because he was falsely accused. It says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And then finally, when he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, and he gets raised up in this place, and he gets confronted with his brothers, that he's got every right to hold unforgiveness and bitterness towards them, and he forgives them. And you know what he says in Genesis 50 verse 20? He says this. He says, for what you meant for evil, God has meant it for good. profound. What you meant for evil, what what's happened to you that's evil, God is able to, to he, he, he works it for good. My friends, let me say that Joseph is an example of a Barnabas. He's a, he's a man that somehow was able to see God at work, not only on the mountaintop, but deep down in the valley, in the shadow of death. Oh, may we grow into these things. Like, help us, Lord. Oh, help us, Lord. Amen. I want to say in church life, sometimes, you know, we can come into church life and we can be a bit critical. You know, we can be part of like, "Mm, the sound isn't great, you know. Or we get critical. We see, and sometimes we, we, we have those people in our home group. You've got that one person who always irritates you. I know none of you have that, of course, you know. You know, none of you experience ever having to bear with one another in love. I know you all just automatically love one another. It's, it's wonderful, you know. And, um, but, and, and, and we, we, we kind of, we can get critical. But the ability to be a Barnabas is to learn to see God at work and learn how to rejoice even when maybe it's not perfect. Because you're in the church. Let's carry on. It says with Barnabas, it says that, he was glad. And then the next thing that he does, it says that he exhorted them, or the word is encouraged, that he encouraged them all. So he stays true to form, and he's encouraging them. But what is he encouraging them in? He encourages them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And I love that, you know, that I want to say that we, when we encourage one another, and we should be encouraging one another all the time, but we should be praying for each other and, and looking after each other and speaking words of life into each other's lives. But as we encourage one another, look what Barnabas does. He doesn't just encourage them. He doesn't just say, uh, you know, tap you on the back, tap them on the back and say, you can do it. Try harder. Oh, I'm struggling. We'll pray for you. Just try a bit harder, you know. He doesn't say to them, you can just fulfill your potential. You can be the better you. He doesn't give them five steps to become prosperous and successful in their own strength. You know, he's not a self-esteem preacher that's there to make them feel good about themselves. You know, you've got five keys. And these are the five keys that you can have to being prosperous in this life. What does he do? It says he, he encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord. And you know, what marks us out as Christians, part of a household, is that we encourage one another in the Lord, in Christ. That what binds us together is Jesus. That's Christ. That's the Lord. 
It's like that's what brings us together. That's what makes us being all so different that we can come together. That even though you've got someone, you know, I, I want to just tell you a story. We've been so blessed over the years. We've been part of a, a number of different local churches connected with Josh Jen and 412. And we've met people that have blessed us out of our socks. We've got one friend, uh, when, we, when we led it and planted in Oatsorn, of all places, we had a couple that joined the church that encouraged us more than that at that point, anyone else. And this, cup, this guy was from Angola. His name was George Alberto, black, black guy. And he had snuck over the border to run away from the Civil War, came to Cape Town, met a, a, a lady in Cape Town, married her, both believers, and they ended up moving to Oatsorn for work. In fact, she was the manager of the Kango Caves um, Resort. So she was quite high up. But he couldn't get a job, and so he was a... Um, a trolley pusher at Pick and Pay in the local Oatsorn Center where he would literally find all those trolleys, bring them in. That was his job. But they were part of the church. They were committed. They were involved. They, and they loved the Lord. And this guy, George Alberto, he would come to church on Sunday. And Oatsorn's a very conservative town. In fact, racially, it's quite a racially divided town. And what was cool with our, uh, we saw God bring people together of different cultures where we were able to learn how to love one another in the Lord. And what happened was this guy, George, just because of who he was and what he had gone through and the hardship in his life, man, he would, he would be the one who would have the biggest smile and the loudest worship. He would be the one that would encourage me. Hey, Mike, man, you're doing such a good job. He would wear these, these he would dress up with a suit always every Sunday, 35 degree heat. But he was faithful. And more than anyone else, like, he was someone. And you know, the wonderful thing about being in the Lord is we've got people like that among us. We should not just be learning from those that are similar to us. You should be, and that is the wonder of the church, isn't it? But it says he encouraged them in the Lord, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And I want to end with just a couple of things and I'm going to land. Is I want to say to us, you know, how, do, how does God encourage us? Because sometimes even when we're going through things, we need the encouragement of God. We know God encourages us by the Spirit. He encourages us through one another. We're gonna, I'm going to end with that now, now from Hebrews 3. But one of the ways God encourages us, and he, and he says to remain faithful to Him, because that was the encouragement from Barnabas. He says to be faithful to the Lord. By the way, here's the thing. Why did He say remain faithful to the Lord? Why was it an encouragement to faithfulness? Why wasn't an encouragement to joy or an encouragement into another area? He specifically says, Scripture says that he encouraged, he encouraged him to remain faithful to the Lord. Why? Why faithfulness? Here's the answer. This is what I believe. He told them to remain faithful because he understood that Christianity is hard. And they needed faithful endurance to finish well. And here's the thing, is that God doesn't hand out prizes at the halfway line. You know, that you've begun to serve the Lord well. It's like, praise God, now I can, you know, like you run the comrades and you get to the halfway, there's a big sign at the halfway point, halfway, you've reached halfway. Imagine come sitting on the sideline, I've reached halfway, I've reached halfway. And then you sit down and say, I think I'm not going to finish the race because I've got halfway, praise God. People would look at you and think you're crazy. And yet, so many Christians give up. They think that it's okay they, they compromise. 
and they don't finish well. God has called us to remain faithful because the nature of it, it is hard. And in those times, you know, I love the book of um, Jeremiah in the Old Testament because Jeremiah, it is an example to me of a man that God encourages him when he doesn't want to remain faithful and he wants to give up. And there's a story in Jeremiah 12, and I want to just, uh, just kind of bring it in here and, and share it with you. Is in Jeremiah 12, Jeremiah is serving the Lord. You know, he's been faithful to God. He's been um, holding on to the Lord. But in that place, he's been, he's been persecuted for his faith. And he's been, um, there's men that are around him that are, are, are giving him a hard time because he's a prophet of God and speaking the word of God. And he's complaining to the Lord because of it. There's actually, it's interesting, in Jeremiah 12 verse 1, we, we, we're not going to look at it now, but in Jeremiah 12 1, if you read it in context, you see that in Jeremiah 12 1, it says that Jeremiah says this, he says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. And he starts this complaint where he's saying, God, it's not fair that these men are persecuting me. I am righteous. I'm serving you. And they're evil men. And they seem to be prospering and doing well. And here I am. I'm serving you. I'm loving you. I'm trying to obey you. I'm being faithful to what you've asked me to do. And yet I seem to be, you know, because of the word of God. Have you ever felt like that? You see evil men and women or people that are living for themselves and they seem to be living an awesome life. You know, like they just, life is awesome. And here I am, I'm serving the Lord and life is hard. And you know what God says to Jeremiah in a place like that? Because God wants to encourage him. But the Lord encourages him in a way that we don't expect. And look what God says to Jeremiah and he says in verse 5, and so, you can, as you read the context, Jeremiah's complaining. And in verse 5, it says, The Lord answers Jeremiah. And this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah. If you have raced with men on foot, and they have wearied you, how will you compete with the horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? What is God saying to Jeremiah here? Well, he's saying firstly to this. It's like, you think the pace is hard now? It's going to get harder. You, you know, you think things are a bit tough now. It's going to get a little bit tougher, Jeremiah. Huh? And then he says this. And if in a safe land you are trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Now, what happened in the thicket of the Jordan? Why the thicket of the Jordan? It's a typical case of of trying to understand the Old Testament and the way it works. But the thicket of the Jordan was where lions lived. The lions would, would, would dwell in those thick bushes and brushes around the Jordan River, and people tended not to go close to certain aspects or the, the heavy vegetation because the lions were there. And so he's saying to them, is like, you're in a safe land. You're going to get to the place where sometimes you're going to be facing the lions. What will you do? Like, Jeremiah, my boy, I'm going to teach you to toughen up. I'm going to teach you to grow in faithfulness and endurance. I'm going to teach you that to be a follower of me is not all bubbles and butterflies. That I'm encouraging you, Jeremiah, remain faithful to the Lord. Remain faithful to your call. And I want to say, if you ever feel like giving up, 
or you feel discouraged, God's way is not to put you on a paradise island, away from all the Christians, on your own, away from all the bad people, you know, they're sipping your pina colada or drink, you know, angels feeding you grapes under the, the palm tree. It's like, that's it, you know, I'm retiring from this, this, this life of faith. It's too hard. No, God says, what happens if you run with the horses? You're in a safe land now. But what I've called you to requires endurance and faithfulness in the Lord. And he's asked us to be people like that. And I think when Barnabas was encouraging these early Christians, he was encouraging with this thing of like, come on, guys. We know that actually there's an onslaught. If you're a Christian today, if you're a follower, you say that I love Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You say that today. And you stand for all that is biblical and moral and right. And you stand to what the Word of God says. You are going to get yourself into trouble. Are you going to be one of those cultural Christians that just goes along with the flow and you begin to mirror what culture says? Or are you going to be one of those biblical Christians, those hardy Christians, those guys like in Antioch that actually had to remain faithful to the truth, even at own personal expense? And you know what the amazing thing about the Christians in Antioch, if we go back to Acts 11, it actually says this about them because before that, these, these believers... If we carry on, it says in verse 26. So these believers, so it says in verse 26, and he found them, uh, it says later on, and in Antioch, the last part of verse 26, the disciples were first called Christians. So the very first place that the disciples are called Christians was in the city of Antioch. In other words, unbelievers looked at them, and the word Christian, it means a follower or a person of Christ, a Christ follower. That's what it means. I know some of you have been taught that Christian means little Christ. That's not true. It doesn't mean many. You're not a mini Jesus. You, otherwise, you're going to get a Messiah complex. No, no, no. We're those Christ people. It literally means a Christianoi, Christ people, the, the people of Christ. And, and so it was the world that was calling them Christians. They were looking at them and saying, there's something about these people that are after that man, Jesus Christ. They speak about him. They prioritize him. They love him. They seem to be willing to suffer for him. They're the Christ people. They follow that man, that Jewish man that was crucified and their claim was rose again. They follow that man. And the people called them Christians, the Christ people. What do people call us? Faithfulness to the Lord. Remaining steadfast. That's the spirit of, that's the people of encouragement. Amen? This is like, ouch and amen. So I'd like to end with one more scripture. I've kind of meandered quite a lot this morning in, in, around, but I, want, I hope you've got the heart of what, what I think the Lord is wanting to say. And I want to end with this wonderful scripture in Hebrews chapter 3. My friends, you know, yeah. May we have a theology that's big enough to embrace suffering. That our Jesus that we serve allows us to go through the fire, will allow us to go through hardship. He doesn't take us around it. Not always. Now, is our theology big enough to handle that? And so I want to end with the scripture in Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Uh, I think I had verse 13 up there, yeah. But um, 
Okay, let's read verse 13. It says this in the SV. I know the NIV says the word encourage. It's the same thing. Or exhort. He says this. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. I'm just going to stop there. So, right, that's the injunction. How often should you encourage one another? Every day. And is it just something one-on-one? It says, no, encourage one another. Before that, it says brothers. In other words, in the context of a culture, of a local church, as part of a local church, have the culture, have the ministry of encouragement. If you say, but I can't do any ministry, maybe I can't sing or lead worship, or I can't preach, or I can't, you know, I'm just, you you can encourage one another. You can love someone. You can encourage them in the Lord. You can pray for one another. Don't ever think that you don't have a place. Encourage one another every day as long as it's called today. Why? And here he gives a reason why we should encourage one another. Not just because it makes us feel good. Oh, I feel so warm and fuzzy and cuddly. and I feel so loved when I'm encouraged. And we do. We should. Right? But that's not the reason why we encourage one another. He gives us the reason here. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That is the reason why we need to encourage one another. To to guard our hearts against sin that can harden our hearts and cause us to fall away from the living God. So I want to say this, that encouragement fuels faithfulness. Encouragement will fuel holiness. And if you are not opening yourself up to that, then the deceitfulness of sin can harden your heart and you can find yourself in a place of discouragement leading you to fall away. That's what he, verse 12 says, from the living God. My friends, I want to I end with that. And, and I want to ask you to put yourself in a position where the kind of encouragement you would receive is sometimes the encouragement of, come speak into my life. Come, I want to open up my life to you. You can speak into me as a parent, as a student. Maybe you're here as a student, speaking to me as a student. Come and encourage me, even if you have to encourage me with the encouragement of correction. I want to say ouch and amen to that. Because that's how we grow in the Lord. There's no other way, my friends. You need a brother to come alongside you and say, I'm going to pray with you that you would remain. Yeah, but I need that you would remain. Just that. 